Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassingame, and I am your host. Today, we have Amy Dresner. Growing up in Beverly Hills, Amy Dresner had it all. A top-notch private school education, the most expensive summer camps, and even a weekly clothing allowance. But at 24, she started dabbling in meth in San Francisco and unleashed a fiending addiction monster. Soon, if you could snort it, smoke it, or have sex with it, she did. Smart and charming with daddy's money to fall back on, she sort of managed to keep it all together. But on Christmas Eve of 2011, all of that changed when, high on Oxycontin, she stupidly brandished a bread knife on her husband and was promptly arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. Within months, she found herself in the psych ward and then penniless, divorced, and looking out on a court-ordered 240 hours of community service. For the next two years, assigned to a Hollywood Boulevard chain gang, she would sweep up syringes, and worse, on Hollywood Boulevard as she bounced from rehabs to halfway houses, all while struggling with sobriety, sex addiction, and starting over in her 40s. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a wild ride. All right, episode 47, let's do this. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Oh my God, thanks for having me. How are you doing? (sighs) It's a difficult time. You know, it's a a really, really tough time. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I think a lot of us are crawling out of our skin here. Yeah. It's uh, cabin fever plus financial insecurity plus isolation plus ambiguity. It's, Mm -hmm. it's gnarly. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Have you been doing a lot of speaking in this time? I know you tell your story a lot. Yeah. Some podcasts, mostly been writing some articles. Uh, I wrote a piece for The Fix about, uh, you know, addiction and recovery during the pandemic. And then I wrote a piece for work at health about, uh, what to do when, uh, a friend relapses because I'm starting to see a lot of relapse. Are you? Yeah. As a result of the, as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. What do you think is, as uh, triggering that? I mean, obviously the pandemic. Yeah. I think it's the perfect storm for an alcoholic or an addict. I mean, a lot of people have lost work and so they're totally freaking out about money. I think a lot of people are in fear. Um, I think that the ambiguity of what's going to happen, th- that we don't do well with, it's just, you know, I mean, uh, the rehabs are closed to, if you're in rehab, you're, you're you know, they're closed to the family and friends. And there's I, all IOPs have been like mostly shut down. It's just like that whole social support network is gone. And that's kind of what we rely on. So now it's all online, which is a completely different experience. Yeah. And you're, and so you're seeing in your friend group, you're seeing relapses. Yeah. I'm sorry. That is, Um, I think think it's going to be just the beginning. I think we're going to see a huge, a huge relapse from this. Yeah. Yeah. uh, What what I've heard is there's already a big uh, rise in domestic violence cases because people are cooped up. And the cops are just like overwhelmed with that. And then there's a huge rise in also, you know, drug possession because, you know, there's and a lot of cops are kind of just letting that go. They're just like, they can't deal with everyone. I mean, they're talking about now there's there, there's coronavirus in, in prisons. So they yeah. want to relieve 
you know, the most vulnerable prisoners and because, you know, the staff are getting it and then they're going to spread it to the population. And it's like, it's a huge problem. And so, I mean, alcohol and cannabis sales are booming. Mm-hmm. Everyone's staying at home and yeah. anesthetizing, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, it's... I don't blame them. What we, yeah, no, I don't either, but we can't do that. I know. But, well, that, that's, you know, that's the thing about, like, I think about child abuse, like kids that are home, stuck home where like school was a safe haven, domestic yeah. violence, you know, all those things. And I'm, I'm stuck. I'm sober. I'm stuck at home with my twin three-year-old boys and my husband, you know, and like uh, in a relatively small space. And I mean, it's stressful for me. There's, you know, I can't imagine a situation where you didn't have any tools. I, I mean, if I was using or drinking, it would be an absolute. Well, yeah. And also what if your family is your trigger and you're stuck at home with your family totally. and that's your trigger situation? Totally. It's totally. a nightmare. It's a night. It's a night. It's a, it, like I said, it's the perfect storm for yeah. the relapse. I think we're going to see a lot of it. Yeah. And it's, uh, this is just the beginning. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, then also you're going out and it's like the people that I'm seeing, they're going out and of course they're hooking up with like strangers and there's sex involved. And then there's like, so that's exposing you to coronavirus. You know what I mean? I mean, fentanyl is like the least of their fucking problems. <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The isolation is what's doing people's head in. Mm-hmm. Because alcoholism is a disease of isolation. Of course, you know, yeah. the loneliness and the isolation. I mean, I'm so grateful that my roommate from New York is in town. He's kind of stuck here. And, you know, though we don't have much privacy, we have each other. And it's like, I'm just so grateful to have another human being in the house right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but while I'm, he's a normie, so I'm doing like Zoom meetings and he's like having like dance parties in the bathroom with like lights and six changes of <laughs> fantastic fabulous outfits and i'm like wait i like your life (laughs) oh my god so funny yeah i mean it's like this is such uncharted territory and you know i think that that those of us who've been sober a long time like also this is the opportunity to you know figure out ways to use those tools and pass that on and and remind you know like share the message (laughs) just really support one another and in every and any way that we can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I wrote this piece for the fix and what I'm seeing when I go out to markets, unfortunately, is I'm seeing a lot of every man for himself mentality mm-hmm. and people fighting over, you know, toilet paper or Clorox wipes or, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's, I talked about this one woman walking in an and someone threw a banana at her and said, get the fuck out of here. Cause she was coughing. And it's like, I just, I want to feel more connected to people. But when I go out into the world, I feel less cause you've got to have six inches, you know, six feet of distance and everyone's, we're all wearing masks and gloves. And it's like, it's just, uh, I don't know. The whole thing is sort of frightening and depressing, Yeah, you know, but I do see kindness among people too. And someone was like, you know, I mentioned, you know, modeling the behavior you want to see in other people. Like, how can you be selfless? How can you be generous? How can you cut people slack? How can you be there for people? How can you make people feel safer? Yeah. Cause you know, know, it's what we choose to look at, right? Because there, there's so much, shitty stuff going on, but there's also so much good stuff. Like there are people doing incredible things, you know, and, but it's hard both of, you know, the shitty things are really loud, you know, that's really, that's that's what it's really saying. And so it's really about seeking out like 
that <laughs> positive reinforcement about what's going on. Yeah. So, and it's really hard. It's really hard. And I mean, for people like me, I mean, I've already been someone who's worked from home, but I really, really looked forward to, you know, like having dinner with my friends or going out to my meeting every whatever, you know what I mean? And getting hugged and holding hands and blah, blah, blah. And like, now I don't have that. And for me being stuck in the house, you know, I'm already prone to depression. That's part of my story. And so this reminds me of my depressed, my depressive episodes. And it also reminds me very much of my using episodes because I used to use alone in the house. And so it's, it's a little bit triggering, you know? And so I want to be like, yeah, you know, Oh, I can write my second book. This is fantastic. Right, totally. you know, it's like this, there's all this pressure to be like super productive. And instead I'm yeah. like staying up till three in the morning watching Ozark. And then I'm like, Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like let's uh, we gotta obviously time to schedule get a routine yeah. honey like mm. it's hard man it's that stuff's hard and you know you gotta cut yourself a little bit of slack there's a lot going on and i you know pressure to be you know to take advantage of the time but our yeah, you alphabetize know, your pantry or whatever you know what i mean like you can get a great body and you know oh my god by the time you leave quarantine you can have abs of steel if you fall and i'm like oh god you know i'm just trying to get through and it's like everyone i know has lost their jobs everyone everyone's broke everyone's terrified i know people have gotten coronavirus they've survived thank god you know i have 82 year old parents yeah my mother is in an assisted living and my father just got through with chemo Mm. So it's scary, but, uh, you know, thank God I'd already gotten my sex addiction, you know, in check, but otherwise this would have put it, this would have put it in place quickly. You know what I mean? Seriously, seriously, every, everything, anything and everything would have been sparked. So you wrote a book that has done very well called my fair junkie. How long ago did you write that? That, uh, the hardcover came out in 2017. The paperback came out in 2018. And, uh, for some reason right now with everyone stuck inside quarantining, yeah. they're like, a lot of people are discovering it. <laughs> it's like, it's really weird. They're like, awesome. I have time to read, you know? Totally. Like, uh, so, um, yeah, there's also an audible and there's also uh, a Kindle version, but yeah. Awesome. And we're doing a pilot oh, cool. to make it into a TV show. So tell me about where you grew up and and uh, what started your your using. I grew up in LA, Los Angeles, like Beverly Hills and Laurel Canyon. My parents split when I was about two years old. I have an enormous amount of alcoholism and addiction and mental illness in my family, so I inherited a, a proclivity towards this. And, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I just got all this, uh, cancer testing done, you know, with the BRCA breast mm-hmm, cancer gene. Mm-hmm. And like, I have like no like cancer, genetic cancer markers, just crazy, <laughs> just, just crazy and a drug addict. That's all I inherited. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise I'll live forever. and be crazy till I'm 93. Fantastic. Oh <laughs> um, <laughs> so grew up, you know, decently wealthy and, um, uh, my father made a, a bet with me. He's like, I'll bet you'll do drugs or drink or smoke before you're 18. And I said, I bet I won't. And he said, I'll bet you $1,000. And I always make this terrible joke that that's how Jews raise each other. We just bribe each other. And uh, <laughs> so my mother's a recovering alcoholic. When did she get into recovery? I guess she was in her, it was after I was born. Um, maybe I was three. Okay. So you've only known her in recovery? Yeah. I don't remember her drinking. And... 
My father's been a heavy drinker, but always functional and can stop and start on a dime. Like, you know, if it's like if he's, you know, if a, a wife is like a wife, he's been married a couple times. If a wife is like, hey, I don't like the, you know, you drinking, he can just stop. You know, when he was having chemo, he just stopped. Like, it's like he can just, oh, it's like. But my mom was a model and a um, and a designer, and she was an amphetamine addict. And my uncle, her brother, was a schizophrenic and an amphetamine addict. And my grandmother was also a schizophrenic. And on my father's side, uh, there's a lot of, well, on both, a lot of depression, a lot of just mental illness and psych wards and medications and electroconvulsive therapy and suicides and all that good stuff. So, and was your dad um, in the entertainment business? Yes. He was a screenwriter. Okay. So my mom moved to Mexico when I was about 13. I'm an only child. And, uh, but I always had that weird feeling even prior to anything that just like uh, something was wrong with me. I was different. Yeah. I felt lonely. I felt disconnected from other people. I felt from, I felt like I was on the outside. I didn't feel pretty enough or good enough or I just, I just felt different and not in a good way. Yeah. You know, I waited till I was about 19 to drink at college and, uh, you know, my drinking was out of control, but it looked like everyone's drinking at college in the mm-hmm. late eighties. You know, it was, everyone was throwing up and blacking out and fucking each other. It didn't look that crazy. Uh, it wasn't until I found uh, crystal meth at about 24 that things really started to speed up for me and really go downhill quickly. So I tried crystal meth. Uh, I hated it the first time. And the second time I tried it, something clicked for me. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh my God, I feel normal for the first time in my life. Yeah. And no one's going to take this away from me, you know? You were in, co- no, you were out of college by the time you tried it. Yeah, I was living in San Francisco, um, doing spoken word and doing a variety of jobs and that kind of stuff. It's all in the book. I worked for quadriplegic. I was a waitress. I was like, you know, I'd had like, I don't know, a second nervous breakdown. I went up there and kind of like, you know, went against my sort of like Beverly Hills roots and was like, you know, working as a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up like living with gutter punks and skinheads and lower hate before it was all gentrified with, you know, all these junkies were doing poetry. I mean, it was, it was fun at the time. It was just like a crazy time. And I didn't really know what I was messing with. I had never been around drug addicts before and I had never really seen drug addiction. So I didn't see my own progression. I just thought I was experimenting because I'd been such a good girl my whole life. So I was like, I'm just experimenting. Right. And then all of a sudden I, you know, it got really, really out of control. Did you think, um, I was talking to someone about this earlier today, like when the D.A.R.E. program and when, when people explain why you shouldn't use drugs, they typically leave out the part where like drugs make you feel good and are a lot of fun and things be like that, like there's a piece of this missing that is like, hey, we had some fun. Like we just did. It's part of it. Do you think that like, what was your viewpoint going into this of like what a drug addict looked like? Did you know that, did anyone talk to you about it? Did you think that, you know, drugs are fun, but they're bad? Or did you only think they were bad? I was afraid of them. I mean, I was really afraid of drugs and sex. I was like into purity. I think that as drug addicts and alcoholics were extremists by nature. Mm -hmm. So we're either, you know, getting high and fucking everybody or we're, you know, I've I've always make this joke that we're either like, you know, smoking meth or we're vegan and doing CrossFit. We're not really, Mm -hmm. there's no moderation. So I was afraid of drugs and I thought they were a cop out and they scared me. And 
Like I didn't lose my virginity until I was 19. I didn't drink until I was 19. I was obsessed with purity. That was my own weird extremist fundamentalist. I mean, I remember when I was in college and I walked in and my roommates were doing coke on my computer and I freaked out and I totally judged them and blah, blah. Cut to, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> five years later when I'm smoking meth <laughs> and staying up for five days. I mean, it's, uh, you know, careful what you judge. Yeah, seriously. Uh, no one really told me about it. They didn't tell me about, I wish people had told me about my genetic uh, vulnerabilities. Do you think that would have made a difference? You think you would have done something differently? God, I don't know. You know, it's hard to tell. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I know that I was so depressed and I felt so out of sorts. And that when I found drugs, they made me feel normal. And who doesn't want to feel normal? Who can, who can really shame me for wanting to feel normal? And what I've learned from Dr. Wetzman, who's a, a psychiatrist, he's also sober, he used to own rehabs, and I, I quote him in a lot of articles, is that for many of us, we have a genetic um, abnormality. You can get tested for it. It's called MTHFR. Are you familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So MTHFR, for people who don't aren't familiar with it, is a, a mutation in the enzyme that breaks down folic acid into L-methylfolate, which is the building block of dopamine and serotonin. And so basically, we can't create enough dopamine and serotonin. We can't create enough L-methylfolate. So I've started to take a supplement and it's helped, but it doesn't, there's no quick, there's no fix for this. Right, 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 right. There's no quick, there's no quick. But I think that's why part of the reason that why we feel weird before we even pick up is we have low dopamine tone. And I think that's a big problem. It's, there's a brain component to this, you know, and even if you believe in that it's a trauma thing, trauma affects the brain Mm -hmm. and the way that it it, it grows. Yeah. You can see on brain scans, trauma and PTSD and blunt force trauma look the same on brain scans. Incredible. That is is wild. That's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard that. That's incredible. And I'm not, and I'm not surprised. I mean, to be honest with you, even with all the experience I have, I was surprised. I mean, blunt force trauma and like on the, it looked the same, indistinguishable. Can you believe, I mean, wow. that, I, I was told that yeah, by, that's by a company yeah. that does brain mapping and I just, uh, it floored me. I mean, I knew it was bad. I just didn't know it was indistinguishable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. I mean, yeah, there's definitely, you know, I think. Yeah. So I don't think we understand the impact. I mean, I think that we're all have pieces of it. Gabor Mate has a piece with the, with the trauma. Other people have a piece with the, with, with the brain chemistry and the genetics of it. But it's like, I think that it's much more complicated. I think every Everyone's situation is a little bit different mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. how they get there. Some people get there through an injury and then get addicted or some people get there through, you know, totally trauma. Some people get there through pure genetics, right? you right. know, where they just plop and it's like, boom, a vacuum opens and it's on, you know, and yep. that was kind of my experience. It just, um, like, it just was on. Oh, it was a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, so I smoked crystal meth for about two years, man. Yeah, I got a. I would stay up for you know seventeen days and write a new Bible, and you know, like thought I had the mathematical equation for God, and you know, <laughs> refinish furniture and all that weird shit that you do as a tweaker. You know what I mean? It's Dude, like, tweakers, man, are so busy. They're just fucking uh, busy, like doing nothing though. Doing you know, like no- taking a equipment and then you can't put it back together oh again. I mean, just doing nothing, dumpster diving for garbage. I mean, just like uh, I mean, I wrote a whole book on speed, and I just don't dare read it ever, ever. 
it's in it's like in uh, like it's it's in a um it's probably amazing like this plastic thing and i'm just uh, terrified to even look at it i'm just like oh, i can't even imagine how crazy that book is i walked into a market and i woke up in an ambulance and uh i'd had a seizure and so they said did you do any drugs tonight and i said well obviously some really shitty ones because <laughs> here i am and uh they took me to the hospital and i decided i agreed to go into treatment that was the first of six or seven treatment centers that I went into. Uh, it scared me enough. The, the, the seizure you had? So I went to treatment, uh, dual diagnosis treatment center. And uh, when I got out, I decided I was a drug addict, but I wasn't an alcoholic, mm-hmm. which is classic, right? I'm a tweaker, but I'm an alcoholic because I didn't really like Well, drinking made me so naked and violent and out of control and you know what I mean? Yeah. It was such a nightmare immediately. So I kind of tried to not drink because I was just, I'd get kicked out of bars and I would, you know, I just, I, you know, I'd lose my car and it was just like so horrible. So at least with drugs, like I was sort of coherent. I was like, this is kind of more controlled. Totally. So, um, I, I tried drinking and I was in a blackout for three weeks and I thought, okay, that's not working. So, uh, then I stayed dry with no program with nothing for about seven years until I had a suicide attempt in, uh, when I was living in England, um, uh, drank and then came back to LA and, you know, had that same thing that we all think like, Oh, well I've been, I haven't drank or used any drugs for seven years. I can drink. It'll be fine. And now I'm drinking in the morning or, well, I was a, you know, a meth head, but Coke's natural. So I can smoke. Oh, you know what I mean? So I can do coke, you know? Coke's natural. It's different. It's going to be different. You know, it's not made from gun bluing and Drano. It'll be a totally mm-hmm. different experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I first started off smoking pot because I hated pot. So I thought, well, I hate pot. Totally. So I won't smoke it every day. And of course, I'm smoking it every day and hating it and totally paranoid, but doing it every day anyway, because I like to feel different. Yep. Doesn't matter. Yep. So then I land up, then I land in my second rehab. And when I get out, I start shooting cocaine. Naturally. Uh, (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, I learned from other junkies that, you know, why are you wasting drugs? Like if Mm -hmm. you had to, you know, I used to Mm -hmm. make this terrible joke when I was doing stand up, you know, if you had to go to Uruguay, would you take a rickshaw or a rocket? Like, let's get to where the (laughs) fuck we're going. You know what I mean? Let's let's get there. You know, it's so Um, true. Yeah. And other junkies were like, what you're, you're wasting drugs and you know, IV is so much fun, more fun. It's much a a better rush and blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, you know, at that point I was like, well, why the fuck not? You know, I'm going to die a drug addict. Like I just, okay. But unfortunately I developed epilepsy by that point from crystal meth Mm. during the five years that I had been clean and the seven years I've been clean at about five years sober. I started having uh, grand mal seizures. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah, it's not super common, but it does happen. And uh, the neurologist was like, did you do a lot of drugs? I was like, ooh. <laughs> and so I um, I have hyperactive lesions on my frontal lobe, and I've had uh, grand mal epilepsy now since I was, I guess, for 15 years. And I've been on medication. I've lost my license twice. I've, I've broken teeth. I've gotten stitches. I've... Uh, Crack my head open. It's been pretty intense. So now I'm finally on some me- medication that, that holds it. But I had epilepsy and I shot Coke anyway. And I would have a seizure. And instead of going like, hey, you probably shouldn't shoot Coke with epilepsy, I shot Coke and bike helmet. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck it. It's a fucking high-impact sport. Like, let's wear protective gear. You know, oh, I mean, that's yeah. alcohol. 
That's alcoholism. Don't like worry. I don't want, I want to get high and I don't want the repercussions. So how do I protect myself? That was, so there that, I am. That was like my coke. adult diapers. That's a, I did it. I wore adult diapers. I kept peeing <laughs> myself. Right. So like, and I would wake up and like, you're in a, and it was like, this is out of control. I need a solution. So adult diapers <laughs> was the, was, was, it. but it's told that that's the helmet, right? Of course. Of course. So I didn't crack my head open when I was like seizing, you know, shooting cocaine. <laughs> I bet you looked amazing. <laughs> I'm sure. It was like, it was my friend's red bike helmet. It had like a Grateful Dead sticker on the front. Oh, I fucking hate the Grateful Dead. Oh. No, no offense to anyone who likes the Grateful Dead. Just not my vibe. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, there I am in my like long <laughs> 70s nylon nightgown and a red bike helmet. And like just like shooting cocaine in my neck and my feet and my arms and you know, doing my laundry with a bike helmet and oh my, my nightgown and my neighbors were like, Oh, there she is. Okay. You know, and nothing makes, nothing makes you look like a functioning person. <laughs> like wearing a red bike helmet, walking around shooting Coke. Oh my God. So, um, that, that should have been warning me, but it, you know, it wasn't, that was not my bottom. Yeah. No. Kept digging. So I've had, I've been a chronic relapser. I've gotten clean and then relapsed, gotten clean and then relapsed and had years and then relapsed. And so what really happened for me was the big bottom was uh, on a, on December 25th of 2011, I'd been prescribed Oxycontin for a shoulder injury in sobriety. And I thought, well, it won't be a problem because I don't even like downers. <laughs> and of course it was a problem. I was in a miserable marriage and I started to abuse the medication and because just that veil went up between me and reality. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't care. What a relief. I don't give a fuck what you think or what I think. or I don't care. My marriage is fine. I don't care. Right. And um, I never really got the high. I didn't. I would just throw up. And everyone's like, you've got to push through and you got to puke through the high. And then mm-hmm. you puke and then you get the high. And I was like, well, that never happened to me. I just, I don't, my brain is like, I don't. I mean, opiates made me very aggressive. <laughs> Which is unusual. And, uh, I, just put I know, there. I know. Yeah. And I was drinking Four loco, which is really classy. Oh. I don't know if you know what that is. I do, do I, you know what that is? I do, because when it came out, I was like, okay, you got to be kidding me. I'm sober and Four locos on them. Like, this is caffeine and boot. I'm- oh, yeah. It was the shit. Oh, okay? my God. It's- I was so jealous. I know it's like 12% alcohol or something. It's like one can equals like five beers and four cups of coffee. Oh, and oh, I that. was like, Oh yeah. And you can buy it like seven 11 oh, yeah. gas station. I was so jealous. I was like, this is and malt liquor and it fucks you. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, you'll throw it up and that's why it's in different flavors because it's going to come back I don't, up. I don't think they, they don't make disgusting. it anymore. I think it's illegal. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a new stuff called Juice or something like okay. that. But actually, it was funny. I did a fundraiser, and I, this woman came up to me, and she goes, I don't know if I should even tell you this, but my son created for Loco. And I said, your son's a genius. <laughs> your son's a genius. Genius. I mean, that shit brought me to where I needed to be. Yeah. Uh, it also made me want to punch babies. It made me fucking bananas. And I tried to kill myself a bunch of times on it and whatever. But anyway, on December 25th, 2011, I got in a fight with my now ex-husband and I pulled a knife on him. And he called uh, the cops and I got arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon and I went to jail. And I'm at Beverly Hills, Jewish American princess. And I'd never been to jail. And I'm 42 years old and college educated. And this was not where I saw my life going. And uh, I ended up being left. I tried to kill myself after that. I ended up being left penniless in a psych ward by my ex-husband. 
and I went into treatment again and I relapsed again and I went to another sober living and I relapsed again. And uh, then I finally uh, moved into another sober living and uh, I got it. I just, I'd lost everything. And I, I, I hope that's not everyone's experience, but that was mine. I didn't ever want to take care of myself. I was very much a child. I was very much, I was very entitled, you know, and I think you meet your destiny on the road, you go to avoid it. You know, I was like, I had a trust fund and then I married a rich guy and I didn't ever want to take care of myself because I didn't really think I could. Yeah. Yeah. And I was afraid. And so the universe was like, oh, you don't want to take care of yourself? Enjoy, bitch. Here you go. So I was left penniless. And so then I was in a sober living for two and a half years, uh, doing a year of domestic violence counseling, going through a criminal trial and a divorce while on Medi-Cal disability and sweeping the streets Yeah, on a chain gang, me and 40 Mexican guys <laughs> sweeping fucking human feces and syringes. And that's where I had my epiphany. That's where I had my epiphany. And, and what was like, I mean, I can assume what the epiphany was, but what was your epiphany? Well, when I first got there, I was like, oh my God, these people are criminals. Like, what am I doing here? You know? And everyone was like, uh, what you here for, Weta? You know, I'm here for the DUI. What you here for? And I was like, oh, I'm here for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. And they were like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> and uh, so no one really fucked with me. And so it became clear that I was like one of the few people there for assault. And I had more time assigned to me than anybody else. And I was like, oh, I'm the criminal. Hi. Hi. And I was sweeping the streets and I felt really sorry for myself. And uh, I'd lost everything and I was in my early 40s. And I was like, oh, poor me. The cops suck and my lawyer sucked and my ex sucks and fuck, you know. And then I went, wait a second. This is the result of all your choices. This is a crossroads. This could be the best thing that ever happened to you, Amy, or it could be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it's your decision, which it is. And I thought, so my book opens with a quote from Will Rogers saying the best, the worst thing that happens to you can be the best thing for you if you don't let it get the best of you. And I went, I wonder if I embrace this, if this could be that, tra- that transformative sort of moment in my life that I've been needing. And uh, I embraced it. And I thought, look, you can, you, we're going to learn how to take care of ourselves and we're going to learn to finish what we start and we're going to learn how to sweep and we're going to learn teamwork and we're going to learn ethics and we're going to learn humility. And I just embraced the fuck out of it. And I was uh, posting it all on Facebook. Another day on the chain gang. This is what I learned today. Or this is what I found on the street or whatever. And people were like dying and they were like, well, everyone else on the chain gang was like, you know, like I'll be friends with you on Facebook, but like I, everyone thinks I'm on a work trip. So don't say anything about what labor and I just owned it. I was just like, fuck it. I'm not going to be ashamed. That's the way I deal with shame is I flip it. I just own it. So everyone knew what I was doing. Everyone knew what had happened. And then what is anyone going to say? Like you tried to stab your husband. I'm like, I fucking wrote a book about it, bitch. What else you got? You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you were like, you know, you got arrested for felony domestic violence. Yeah. I fucking posted about it on Facebook for a fucking year and a half. What else you got? Bring it. You know, it's like, if you own it, no one own, has anything on you. I wasn't proud of it, obviously, but I just refused to be ashamed of it. And, um, I had to see the humor in it to get through it. And, uh, it changed me. It absolutely changed me. I started writing a lot and I, you know, my editor at the time at the fix just said, the community labor is the framework for your book. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And I pitched it to an agent and I got a deal. And I wrote the book. It's not made me rich and famous or anything like that. Like my life's not changed that much. 
but I grew up and I learned how to depend on, on myself. And, um, you know, I think what I did differently in this sobriety that I ever did. And I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, people go, well, I've never been this, like I've been in four psych wards. I've tried to kill myself a bunch of times. I've, you know, battled drug addiction and mental illness for 25 years. I mean, I, you know, it's a miracle I'm fucking alive. And what I did differently in this sobriety is instead of listening to my feelings, I took action. I had a sponsor and he said, you don't have to be a good person, Amy. You just have to act like one. No one knows the fucking difference. <laughs> it's so true. And I was like, I was like, oh, but that's not seem very truthful. <laughs> like what? Yeah. And what I've learned through neuroscience is that you take contrary action over and over and over again, and you create a new neural pathway in your brain that eventually becomes your default mechanism, and that becomes you. So it's not really like fake it till you make it. It's like fake it till you are Are it. Yeah, yeah. So I just, in this sobriety, I really had, I had nothing. And I was so fucking desperate. And I just did whatever the fuck my sponsor said. And I did the work. And I, no one would, there was no net. You know, my parents, everyone was out of money. My parents were like, we're tired of you at the bottom of the well, bitch. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, we're, this is, we're exhausted and we're financially and emotionally drained. It's on you. They always love me and they're like, we believe that you can get it together and you can accomplish amazing things, but you know, there's no more money. Right. So I just transformed myself through what I think is basically cognitive behavioral therapy, I guess, and neuroplasticity by acting myself, uh, acting like the person I wanted to be. And that's sort of where I'm at now. I mean, the book's been out a couple of years. It's very strange to receive messages where people are like, Oh my God, like, you know, like I'm fangirling out. You wrote me back and, uh, and it's like, I'm just a junkie that wrote a book guys. That's it. You know? Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Like what, so for me, when I tell my, like, if I speak too many times in a month or what, you know what I mean? Like you're asked to speak at too many meetings or whatever it is. Like I'm, I'm burnt, like I'm burnt on it. And, and I would like, you have got to be burnt on telling your story. I'm not fascinated by it anymore. Yeah. 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 You know, between speaking at meetings, between podcasts, between fundraisers, speaking engagements Mm -hmm. and you know, book readings. I'm pretty sick of my story. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, what I, I do find interesting is that people seem to like what they like about the book is my honesty. I didn't try and look good. You know, like some people think I'm an asshole in the book and yeah, I was an asshole. I was mentally ill and on drugs. Like if you're not an asshole when you're mentally ill and on drugs then why would you ever get sober? Right. Those are some high expectations as well. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like I'm like, um, and also where are you gonna go with it? And I just feel like I wanted to be as honest as possible. I didn't want to candy coat it. I didn't really care if I looked good. I cared that I helped people. I cared that someone else read it and felt like, Oh my god, I'm not alone. Oh my god, I, I don't feel as broken. Oh my god, I'm not as ashamed. Like I can laugh at something that I was ashamed of mm-hmm. and um you know, I say this all the time, but if you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, you're just not being honest enough. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, I'm sorry. And uh, Jerry Stahl, who wrote Permanent Midnight, who blurred my book, was like, you know, he has a famous quote, you know, if you had the nerve to live it, you should have the nerve to write it. And I was like, all right. And so that's why I wrote about everything. And, uh, and in this sobriety early on, I have seven years now, but in the very beginning, I developed a sex addiction and it was fucking pretty brutal. Yeah. Tell us about that. Because 
I had to get out of my body. Yeah. And I couldn't get high. And I, I just couldn't feel my feelings. I felt abandoned by my ex-husband. I had no money. I was terrified. I was newly sober. I was facing a felony charge. I was, you know, I had been cutting myself in treatment, which I'd never done before. And I just needed out. And I needed validation. And I needed, I don't know. So I'd never been really promiscuous that, well, kind of promiscuous. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on 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 who asks. Yeah, right. If you talk to people in AA, they're like, "Mm, I don't know why it became my go-to. I think that that's pretty normal for alcoholics and addicts. You put them in the rooms and you take away their drug of choice. And where do they go to? They go to food and gambling and nicotine and caffeine and sex and workaholism and exercise. They'll do anything again. Your brain doesn't know. Your brain's like, we need dopamine, bitch. Like, so get it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's from, it. you know, a hookup or a piece of cake or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like, we need dopamine. And so it felt very much like my drug addiction where I'd be shaking on the way to go meet someone from Tinder, like in anticipation, like when you're shaking to go meet your dealer, you're like, oh, you're so excited. And your brain's just like, you know, and then I would literally be crying driving home and going, I don't want to ever do this again. Or sitting in the shower in a ball, just going, oh my God, I'm so mortified. I don't, what am I doing? And then I do it again. And I did that for probably two or three years. So I just hit a bottom that was just brutal, you know? And when you hit a bottom, where did you go with that? Like that, especially, you know, as a female sex addict, like that is like, you know, that has to be difficult to say, to bring up and talk about, right? It's not as, it's not. It's super. Oh yeah. I mean that the whole book is, you know, the ultimate stigmas. Hey, I'm a perpetrator of domestic violence. Hi, I'm a IV drug user. Hi, I'm mentally ill. You know, hi, I, you know, I'm a female sex addict. Like, no wonder I haven't had a date since the book came out. <laughs> but I have saved souls. I have saved lives. There you go. Who there cares you go. if I end up marrying, if I marry my cat, that's fine. No, I know I'm not the only person who's experienced that. And it's really hard to talk about. And that was the hardest ta- stuff to talk about in the book was the sex addiction. Yeah. Because there's nothing fucking cool about it. Sorry. If you're a guy, you're a stud. But if you're a girl... I don't care how many slut walks you want to do and how much sex positivity you're still look like you're still looked as, as, as a slut. Yeah. And I don't think that yeah. for me, I was really looking for love. It was never about sex. It yeah. was about validation yeah. and it was about connection and it was about checking out. And I wanted each of these people to be my boyfriend. Yeah. I really wanted love. Yeah. So I did, I went to slaw and I went to SAA and it's all in the book and I didn't really dig it. And, um, there's one scene where it's me and 12 dudes in a Mm -hmm. uh, sex addicts anonymous meeting. And I'm like, yay, Mm -hmm. you know, and everyone's talking about jacking off for seven hours or, you know, or hookers. And I'm like, well, I met this really hot guy on Tinder and then he never called me again. (laughs) Like, it's just like, oh, just completely different. But the feelings are the same of being out of control, you know, the humiliation, the going, oh, I don't ever want to do this again, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know where I was getting the dopamine hit. Was I getting it from the chase? Was I getting it from the validation? Was I getting it from the orgasm? Was I getting it it from, you know, yeah, who knows? doesn't really matter. But um, I had an experience that was so humiliating and so mortifying. You can read it in the book that I just 
that was the end for me. And I just put it down. And my sponsor at the time said, you know, you put down a behavior when what it's doing uh, to you is worse than what it's doing for you. And that's what happened. I just hit a, I hit a bottom that was just, it was so, I mean, incomprehensible demoralization. And I stopped. And then I fell in love and I was in a relationship for two years and then that ended. And so I don't really know how to sort of navigate now. You know, it's like, how do you navigate after you've been a sex addict? Yeah. You know, you don't want to be, you know, I don't, it's like, I've sort of just been shut down. I've just been kind of like, you know. I mean, I think, so I I think the bottom line behavior, I really liked at, you know, like take what you like and the bottom line behavior where like there's a, a behavior line that you just don't cross. And to me that, I think that was something that was super helpful. Like, making the, making that like, this is just the play. This is just the line that I'm not going to cross. And that was a really great start for me. Are you talking about bottom lines and that kind of stuff? Just, is that what yeah, you're talking about? It was just it, the bottom line behavior. Yeah. The bottom lines, like the bottom line behavior was, I, I that worked for you. Yeah. Oh, it did not work for me. I would say I'm not going to do that. And I would do it. I would say this is off limits and I would do it. I mean, that was a scene with, you know, I never thought I would you know, be an IV drug user. And I cross that line. I mean, I think that with addiction, you know, we keep moving that line in the sand. That's what's so terrifying. You know what I mean? We go, this is the line. I'm not crossing this. And then all of a sudden you move the line. And that's what I found in my life What I did with in, every, in everything. And it was just, it was horrifying. And so, you know. I think it was like, just for clarify, for clarification, like for me, it was like, I am not going to sleep with someone who I'm not in a relationship with. And like that was, I was able to, and in order to do that, I had to not put myself in situations where I would end up sleeping with them. So like, I'm not in there going to dinner at their house or, you know, like it was this whole thing. And, and when I was committed to doing that piece of it, I could backtrack to the bottom line, if that makes sense. Like, but I couldn't just say like, I'm just not going to sleep. Like I had to set the system up so that, you know, like here are the things I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my clothes on. So I'm going to, in order to keep, in order to keep my clothes on, I'm going to be in public places. You know, like it was like, Oh, okay. Here. I finally had, well, I did finally have a coffee date with someone and I had it in a public place. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote an article about this for work at health about dating after sex addiction. (laughs) Uh, I had it in a public place. I had it at a Starbucks. We had coffee for about two hours. And then he walked me in my car and I just lunged at him. And it had been almost two and a half years since I'd had any human contact because that's, again. Right. Black and white. It's, yeah, it's, you know, you're either, um, you know, sexually anorexic or you're acting out. And I didn't know how to find that. When I was in a relationship, I could, it was okay. But once I got out of the relationship, I just, I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of shut down. I was also pretty heartbroken. And so I just was like, I don't want to get hurt again and whatever. And then both my parents got ill and the book came out. And I was just like, well, I don't really, Dick is not on my priority list right now. And I'm scared about how I'll behave around it. You know what I mean? So it was like, So anyway, I kissed him and then things started getting really heated and we started like touching each other. And then I was like, okay, this is getting really out of control. Like I gotta go. And I got in my car and then he got in the car. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) 
<laughs> so that was my, you know, yeah, even though I tried to set it up, that happened in the parking lot of Pavilion. So then I was like, okay, like you can't do it. <laughs> now, now, now you have to stay at the table. You can't, nobody can walk you. You gotta like, you just gotta keep backing into that one. Oh my God. That's so good. Like a car. So that's the thing. Like a car is a private place, right? Like it was like, like that, but that was the kind of like learning stuff where I was like, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can't believe I'm going to say this on, on air, but, <laughs> but I had this thing where like, if you don't take your pants off, no matter what happens, if you do not take your pants off, it just doesn't happen. Right. Like, okay. Um, all right. I'm going to say something. Um, you're, oh, you're going to, okay. I didn't take my pants off. I, um, am uh, a female ejaculator. <laughs> so (laughs) that started in my 40s just getting honest here can't be the only one and uh it's cool if you're into it and if you're not into it it's like getting waterboarded and people are freaked out by it and uh he touched i was so turned on by this individual and it had been so long since i had had any contact he touched the outside of my jeans and i exploded all over the car still not you still didn't have sex with him no but i did have an orgasm and i didn't take my pants off so there goes your fucking theory but oh, no, I, I didn't say don't take i didn't say you can't have an orgasm i just said you won't have sex yeah but then i got obsessed i got obsessed right. because i got a dopamine hit from hell my body was like and not, and even though it had been two and a half years since i'd had any sexual interaction i was my whole body was right. like oh! And I was absolutely obsessed with this person. And it was a nightmare because he was very emotionally unavailable. And it was another whole painful cycle. Right. And then I just, my old, all my old behavior came back where I was like, you know, I think I saw him a second time and I was like, just jack me off in the car like quickly. And I was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, like just like, I mean, a whole other person came right. out. It was just horrible. It was like, you know, years of like, just years of celibacy and like not shaving. And then all of a sudden, like I'm at his house. I'm like, I shaved my asshole for you. Like do something. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, it was just awful. It was just, uh, obviously we're not together. <laughs> It was just, he was like, ah, calm down. Like things were going to happen. Like relax. I was like, oh my God. I was just like, like, I can't relax. Yeah. I was just like, thank God for coronavirus. That's all I have to say. Just like, it's like made me stay in my house with my gay roommate and there's just nothing to happen. There's nothing going to happen. I mean, this might be the opportunity to practice dating like with a six social distancing, maybe you're, Oh, I am. I, I was talking to someone, but I, I'm not sure that person's for me. I think he's too much of a Pollyanna. He's like, you're negative. I'm like, no shit, bitch. Read my book. Like I'm a fucking depressive Jew. Like, I don't think we're the same. <laughs> Cut from the same cloth. I'm a great, yeah, I'm the grim reaper motherfucker. What do you mean? Like, you know, it's like, but yeah. So I just, I don't know. I think the whole thing for me, I'm an addict to my core in every single area of my life. I had an eating disorder prior to finding meth. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that have relapsed on nicotine. I'm one of them during this, this crisis. It's really difficult, you know? And, um, I don't know if you've heard that the people are like, you know, I mean, zoom meetings are great, but it's not the same. I'm someone who likes to, you know, violate people's personal (laughs) spatial boundaries. (laughs) So everyone knows me for that. They're like, oh my God, Amy, like, don't, like, I touch strangers. And I mean, I'm just, I'm all, I just, 
I really have some brain damage. <laughs> I've had 12 grand mal seizures and, and, and I've had a traumatic brain injury. Like I'm in, you know, and I've done a lot of drugs. Like there's just something, whatever that filter is, it's like, don't do that. Right. Like right. I don't it's have not that. There. I've literally been kicked out of Trader Joe's just overly caffeinated. They're like, um, hi, are you on drugs? Like what's going on? They're like, do you need to come back another day? I'm like, no, I'm sober. I've just had a lot of coffee. You know, it's like, so something's wrong with me. <laughs> People are breaking into Zoom meetings. Yeah. I don't know if you've yeah. heard. And that makes me really sad. I mean, like, get a life. Get a fucking hobby. These are people trying to connect and save their lives. And I just think, you know, it's just like people that are bored and miserable and think it's funny to, you know, say shitty things and flash porn, you know, where, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people relapse and this is their only fucking lifeline. And you know that as an online rehab and an online recovery service like you know i just the lack of respect is kind of stunning to me yeah i think it was always happening and now it's just in this like crazy concentrated space stay tuned to hear more in just a moment hello everybody this is ashley low blasting game the co-founder of lion rock recovery and your host Line Rock Recovery has introduced a support meeting specifically for people struggling with anxiety related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Structured as an ongoing workshop, the COVID-19 anxiety support meeting will teach coping skills and be a place to share and connect with others also feeling the effects of this crisis. Everyone struggling with anxiety about COVID-19 is welcome. Let me repeat that. Everyone struggling with anxiety about COVID-19 is welcome. To view the meeting schedule and join a meeting in session, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com and click on the orange banner at the top of the page. You can't miss it. Together, we will learn to feel more centered and empowered in the face of this great challenge. This is one of those times where like, we're all having to take all of our coping skills and figure out... like. You know, in some ways, I had a mentor who always said, like, you need to upgrade your recovery to where you are. Like, you need to, you, you're not, you don't do the same thing for your recovery that you did when you were a year sober at 10 years sober, right? You need to upgrade your recovery, update it. And so this whole thing has forced me, it was actually a lot like motherhood for me, where it, you're, you become confined, you, you, you lose a freedom. And so, but you still need to treat the problem. And so you have to find different, you have to change things and find different ways to, to be well. And I think that this is all going to, this is in some ways forcing us to like upgrade our recovery to like, okay, what do I need to do for my recovery? Like, how do I survive? How do I handle a situation like this? Is it ideal? No, <laughs> definitely not ideal. But now I'm hyper-focused on the fact that like, Instead of going to the meeting and just like naturally getting everything you need from that interaction from the space, like you have to think about what you need and then go like try to get that right from the comp. Like you, it's it's like super proactive in a way that I I don't think most of us like. I'm not like I need sunshine. I haven't had sunshine, so I like specifically go out and think about how much sunshine I've had. Like that's not something I normally do. I don't think. You know, like I don't think about it that way. And I think that it's forcing us to go to think about all the ways that we recover and the way that you were talking about, like physical interaction is one of the ways that you recover. You're recover like that's part of your recovery. It's like going into those 
halls and like being in rooms with people who understand where you've come from and sharing that space. And so like really thinking about like, what are the ways I recover? What are the different ways I recover? And, and finding some temporary solutions, hopefully, and also, you know, making do with what we have because we have a life and death disease. And the truth is that no amount of substance or sex or anything is going to change the fact that we're quarantined in the house. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I'm going to more meetings now than I ever <laughs> That's have. That's what everybody's saying. Know, yeah. Really, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm like, wow. All right. I'm back to a meeting a day. Excellent. You so know, true. but definitely for me, I found myself to be really struggling with routine and scheduling and depression and I struggle with that sleeping too much and watching too much television and financial situation is totally fucked. And, you know, I'm trying to find that balance between being productive during this time and also allowing me to have my feelings, which is, this is fucking terrifying, you know? And I mean, the upside of this is it's shown a light, I think on all the problems in our country The overcrowding of prisons, the lack of universal health care, you know, the elimination of the middle class, the the fact that there isn't, you know, that the people aren't financially stable, the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's difficult. I've never, you know, I've never lived really, when, when 9-11 happened, which is the only thing that's even kind of comparable to yeah. this, I was in Paris, so it didn't really hit <laughs> yeah. me, but, you know. Yeah. I was like, oh, wee wee, it happened over there, you know? And I was like, I mean, I just, you know, I had to pretend I wasn't American because they weren't really fucking super hot on the Americans during during that period. And it was like, remember, the French fries were called Freedom Fries and all that Mm -hmm. shit. And so it was like, so this is the first time I've really experienced something like this. And, you know, what I wrote about, I'm seeing, you know, really selfish behavior. And it's like, how can we model behavior that's more... Like how can, as the recovery community, okay, we're, we're used to fighting for our lives. We're used to being isolated. We're used to, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, we're kind of made for this shit in some way. And it's like, I think it's on us to model the behavior of selflessness. Like if there was ever an opportunity to model selflessness for other people, this is the time to do it, whatever way that is, you know, in reaching out to other people for, you know, you know, emotional support, you know, giving them emotional support, ask, you know, also there's people that have a difficult time asking for help. Like if you need help, you, this is the time to go, I need help financially or emotionally, or I need dried noodles, or I need a fucking mask or gloves or paper towels or whatever it is. And it's just like, you know, it's a challenging time. It's definitely a time to up your game. And for me, what I find in my recovery is that I sort of, right before a growth spurt, I sort of, I flip mm-hmm. out. I wish I could me have, too. not have the tantrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, I wish I could not have the mm-hmm. tantrum. Me too. So I have my mm-hmm. tantrum. So I don't want, I don't like this. Fuck you. You know, blah, blah, shut down, crying, depression, you know, taking to my bed you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden I go, okay, what's the mm-hmm. action now? Mm-hmm. And get uncomfortable enough. I, I would love to skip mm-hmm. that flip out mm-hmm. place, not been able to get there without going through that kind of like flip out place first. Yesterday I had my flip out and today I'm like, all right, bitch. 
I feel like my flip flip outs look different. They're still flip outs. There's it's like they get a little, they've gotten over the years, they've gotten a little smaller and a little less, you know, crazy, still crazy, but a little less. So, but I, you know, it's kind of like you talked about, like, I don't change until the pain is staying the same is greater than the pain of change. You know, like I just, man, I, I just don't, or I haven't, I haven't yet. And, and so the best that I can do is get better, recognize, oh, I'm like you did. Oh, this is a flip out. I'm going to be unhappy right here. And then I'm going to grow and try to make, try not to, you know, abuse my children and husband in the process. That's the thing. That's the thing I've gotten, I think, better about is not letting it out on other right. people and creating a wreckage. Right. It's more internal mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Where I just kind of turn, like turn inward and shut down. Right. Instead of raging on people or acting out in some weird way, I just kind of like shut down, you know, and it was like, that was yesterday. I just crying and I was just like, okay. And then today I was just like, okay, how can we, what can we do? Let's, you know, let's, what's the next action? Like, okay, you can write these articles, you can finish this, you can work with your trainer via Mm -hmm. Skype, you can take a walk. I mean, we took a drive. My roommate and I took a drive for like an hour yesterday just to get out of the house and get some air, Mm -hmm. you know, and also cutting myself some slack, not so much slack that I'm like, it's cool. Like stay up all night watching Netflix and sleep all day and don't do anything, you know, but also like letting yourself have your feelings and going, okay, that's enough. Right. Like it's not the end of the world that you did that. And so, giving yourself the space to be like, man, I'm human and I'm upset. Like, this is crazy. This is scary. This is crazy. I'm having feelings. Those are my feelings. And, you know, we are people who use against our will. So, and feelings happen whether we're participating in them or not, right? That's kind of what we've learned is that they're hap- it's happening. It's happening. So forget, stop worrying about like, I'm not going to feel that. I'm going to, you know, whatever. It, you're, you're feeling it. You just, maybe you're not you're not joining it yet. So like if we can have those feelings, feel them and maybe some, how you need to feel them is by sitting in bed and watching Netflix all day. And then the next day, you know, like to me compared to the wreckage that we used to cause, Oh, right. That shit right. is amazing. Nothing. That's yeah, your, nothing. it's like, Oh, you bought a vape. You bought a disposable vaping. Okay. <laughs> totally. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Totally. Versus banging a 20 year old in your car and shooting up, you know, something in your neck that some guy on a corner spit out of his mouth. I'm okay with it. We've made, We've some, made progress, some progress. You know right. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, but it's like people who are just don't let you have your feeling. Don't feel that way. Be positive. Don't da da da. And it's like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that your feelings run you, but it's like, it's also really hard to, not have your feelings because, you know, for so long I was my thoughts and my mm-hmm. feelings. That's who I thought I was. Yeah. You know, and they dragged me around like a dog on a leash this way, this way, this way, this way, you know, and it's like, I mean, I, you know, I talk about it in the book. Did I talk? I don't, I can't remember if I even talked about it now the, about discipline, creating stability versus stability, creating discipline. Did I talk I about that? I remember. To you? Okay. Great. So, so, so let's um, say no. <laughs> Okay. So my father said to me years ago, discipline creates stability. Stability doesn't create discipline. It's like a disciplined routine life gives you that feeling of stability inside. But as alcoholics and addicts, I think we wait for the feeling before we take the action. 
if you're waiting to feel ready to go to the gym or meditate or go to a meeting or write your book or whatever, you wait forever. You take the action and it changes the feelings. And still at seven years sober, it's still hard for mm-hmm. me, yeah. you know, to do that. It's like, whoever feels like going to the gym, never. And when you go and you're like, woohoo, I feel amazing. I'm going to go every day. And then you don't go again for mm-hmm. two months. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's really difficult. I mean, I was meditating all the time and then I stopped because it made me feel too good. I was like, well, I'm feeling too good. Totally. Right? And if I miss one day, if I miss oh, one yeah, that's day, it. Done. It's, it's Done. Over. over. It's over. See yeah. ya. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, right? it's, it's, one it's day. one fucking day. And it's that, that, that's it's out. why in many ways, it's why the recovery is remarkable because the way that our brains work, the things that it tells us the way that it works. I mean, if we didn't do anything, we would never get anywhere. Right. So like finishing a book find you know, reaching and like do, doing those things is remarkable because that's not the natural way that we would live if we followed the roadmap in our head. We are basically oh, to to right. get out. Yeah, my head's like you're going to be broke and homeless and sick <laughs> and die of corona. So just like just for, fall, just you know. drink and like yeah, just, and fucking yeah. jump out yeah, the window. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just fucking you know fold 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 your hands. I, I was like you know I, I was so. like I'm going to get corona, so I should go get corona. That was that was I had that. Oh, I, I, I had a moment. Like, I should just I go like, get it I, to get this I, over with. I know. That's what I had. I yeah, had that yeah. too. I had that too. I was like, I just want to have it over with because then maybe like I'll have immunity for like a little bit and then it'll just be over. You know, it was I didn't like, even think I, would, I wasn't even thinking about the immunity. I was like, I'm just going to walk into a hospital and like get this shit over it. Cause like, I, cause like, I can't wait for this shit to hunt me down. Fuck that. I'm going to get it. <laughs> like, just like the, so, I totally get it's it. so stressful. Yeah, like, I, yeah. Okay. Go lick a toilet seat. Like that fucking, that influencer. Oh my God. I know. Really? I, I legitimately do not understand things that are happening on this planet sometimes. Like I, I like, and I'm a, like, oh, people think, I love the people that gets a hoax. They're like, it's a hoax. I'm like, mm, really? And the Holocaust didn't happen either. Okay. Like it's not a fucking hoax, man. You know what I mean? It's like, but I felt the same way. I was just like, I mean, what's funny to me is like, I think there's two types of alcoholics and addicts. And it's, I talked about this in this recent fixed piece. It's like, one is like, I'll beat a deadly disease. No one is going to stop oh, yeah, yeah, me from yeah. my recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, fuck yeah. fear, man. I just choose to be positive and we're going to have our meetings. And it's like, um, if you stayed at this I'm hotel, you're immune to COVID. <laughs> and it's like, and then there are the other ones that are like, where now, like I used to not give a fuck about my health or anything. I thought I was indestructible. And now every headache is a, is a brain tumor. Every fucking weird stomach pain is like my liver exploding. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm a total hypochondriac now that I'm clean. I'm like, what? (laughs) You, you would have been like the person who comes in with the 60 pound tumor and they're like, why didn't you call us when it was at 10 pounds, (laughs) you know? But now, now it's like, I feel a tiny speck. I know. What is this? Please. They're like, it's a mole. I'm not sure what, you know, it's like, yeah, it's strange. I've just. I'm having a hard time with faith right now. I will be honest with you. It's not something that I, it's something I struggle with in general. And I know I've landed on my feet a lot. And if you read the book, you're like, that, it's amazing that bitch is alive, like Jesus Christ. But I still struggle with faith. And my friends make these jokes like, you know, you you fell into a fucking 
pool, a, a pond and you woke up in a new suit. Fuck you, you know, like, and it's like, I feel scared about this. I'm not going to lie. I mean, and I don't do well when I'm scared, you know, and everyone's like, you need to have faith, like, blah, blah. And it's like, people are fucking dying, man. You know, like it's affected everyone's financial situation. It's, it's terrifying. You know, and I don't really know where, where, where's the place of having faith and also just kind of versus putting your head in the sand and ignoring the reality. What I've been trying to do is if more information is not going to change the way the things I'm doing and the way that I'm acting, then I try not to absorb that extra information. Like I don't need an update on every death, right? Like I don't, I don't need to know that like three more people died in New York or whatever it is, because it's not going to change the way that I'm living my life. If I, if there's information that's material to my actions, then that's important for me to absorb. But beyond that, it's a little masochistic where it's like, I'm just, I'm just like, you know, uh, trying to absorb as much as I can reading all about it, how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad, like, there's only so much I need to know. And then I need to live my life and show up in the way, like way that I would want to, even if it's like, Hey, this is my last go of it. Like if it is my last go, of, I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, you're young, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. But I, but the, but whether or not I'm going to die, it's like, ha, ha, but yeah, but young people are dying too, but no, I like, totally do, hear you. How I do mean, I want to like, spend I, my time? That's what I have to remind myself is like, it's less about like this, the faith is important, but it's almost like I come at it from, try to come out from the logical perspective of like, okay, this is not like, this is unmanageable. Like my uh, consumption of bad news is it's fucking right. unmanageable. Right, 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 it's unmanageable right, right, right. making me, I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable. And so I need to only consume as much as I need to consume to change my behavior. Oh yeah. My sponsor was like, turn the fucking mm-hmm, news off, mm-hmm. Amy. It's so, and and, but why is that so hard? Right? Like that, why is, I don't know. And it's like, we don't know. We still don't know enough. We don't know enough. Do you have immunity? What really, how, how is it really transmitted? I mean, there's so much, but if it doesn't change your behavior, if if you're still going to wear the gloves and the mask and go get the stuff at the grocery store and come back and you're just going to like, if it doesn't change my behavior, why am I trying to, you know, create the vaccine from the news article I'm reading, you know, like probably not going to (laughs) work. Like if we're, if we're being on, I'm, I'm just torturing myself. That's been my survival mechanism. I don't know if it's, I don't, you know, no, I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to take the time to be safe, tell people I love them, reach out to people like I said, a close friend of mine relapsed and yeah, that's brutal. Um, he's back. But that's something that I wanted to talk about is what I see, you know, when people relapse, people seem to scatter. Mm-hmm. They did with me, at yeah. least. When shit hit the fan, a lot of people scattered. They didn't know how to handle it. or they. It's like, okay, if we know that alcoholism is not contagious and it's a fucking disease, then why are you shaming them and treating them like it's a fucking moral issue? Why are you not making them feel welcome back? Why are you not talking to them? Why are you... It should be inclusive. Yeah. And it's like I know that as a, for, for me as a chronic relapser, like, I just didn't give a shit what people in the room thought. I was like, what, I want to be queen of AA? Like, who gives a fuck? Like, I just didn't care. Yeah. 
Queen of the Lodies. That's what I'm going for. I want the crown. You know, I was like, you know, I just didn't care. I was like, I'm going to die if I don't keep coming back. So it's like, let people go. Oh, God, she left again. What a loser. And it was like, fine. You know, and it was like, whatever. But I stayed connected to this person. And although it's hard to, you have to have boundaries and you have to, you know what I mean? It's not fun. It can be very triggering to talk to someone who's loaded. It can be very painful to watch someone kill themselves, all of that kind of stuff, you know, and sometimes people aren't ready, but at the same time, you have to be that, that loving connection when they want to come back to sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they have to feel safe talking to someone. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all been in that place where it's like, we want to stop and we can't, or we want to want to stop. So I see a lot of judgment and then it's like, don't forget when you were in that place or maybe they weren't ever in that yeah, place. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I, I think it. this is all about unity and coming together and supporting each other in the, in the end game. And the end game is to be happy. It's to be happy, joyous and free, man. Like that's the end game. That's what it is. So, you know, whether your journey looks like mine or not, like that's where, that's where we have to come to. I think people are, I think people are afraid that relapse is contagious. That's how I think. Yes, you're right. I think they know that it's, you know, theoretically it's not, but I, I do think people think so. I think people think that if, you know, the old adage, like if you hang out in the barbershop, you're going to get a haircut. And I think that, you know, eventually you get a haircut. I think that, I think some people think that, you know, stick with the winners means abandon the, abandon the people who don't get it. And, um, I never, I've never really understood that, but I think it looks from up close, it looks like fear to me. Absolutely it is. I think it's fear and not knowing how to process their own feelings around it. And yeah, fear that it's them, that they could be them. And also not knowing how to be loving, but to have Mm -hmm. boundaries. You can do both. Right. You know, you can be loving, but also have a boundary. Yeah. And go, you know, it, it, there. You, I mean, I don't think tough love is always the way. I don't think we know what the answer is. If we knew what the answer was, then we'd have the solution. You know what I mean? I think it depends on each person. So I try and take it each situation individually. But all I know is, you know, my parents kept throwing me into treatment after treatment after treatment. And did they keep me alive? Yes. Would I have gotten sober earlier for good if they hadn't? I don't know. Would I have died? Maybe. Yeah, but that wasn't a risk they were willing to take, whether or not it was, you know, I mean, that that's what it comes down to, right? Is like, you know, that wasn't a risk they were willing to take, whether or not, you know, no. some, yeah, of, that, some of that is about them too. Yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, for me, what was, what was key is that they believed in me because I think that when you continue to relapse, you stop believing in yourself totally. that you can ever get totally. it. And you just think, I'm going to die an addict. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who's not going to be able to get it. And you just give up on yourself. And so the fact that they believed that eventually I would get it, that I believed that they believed, and that was what I held on yeah. to. I mean, it's amazing. And I proved them, and I proved them right. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I mean, getting loaded is not going to help anything in this situation. We're all in together. I mean, that's what's weird is like the whole world is in this together. I think that as sober people, we're, we're, we can't anesthetize like other people. Yeah. So we feel it. All of it. All yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the beauty of your story is like, you know, truly that you can relapse and relapse and relapse and still get like, you're not, it's not mm-hmm. a lost cause. Don't stop trying. Don't give up. 
Yeah, that's why I said, like, it's, you know, this is dedicated to anyone who thinks it's too late. And I mean, that's people are just like, thank you for giving me fucking hope that I can, I can get it. Like, I've gone back into treatment or I'm going back to meetings and like, I can't, I, you know. Yeah. I mean, the book ends with like, three years clean and I have seven yeah. now. And people are just like, I mean, I went from pariah to example to inspiration, which is so weird <laughs> to me. You know, it's really bizarre. And I mean, it's a, I was relapsed there for so long that when they go, are there any newcomers? Still, seven years later, my hand almost goes up every time. I was like, oh, I was like, you're not, dude. You're not. You have sponsees, you have a sponsor. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, you're I, not, do know, I do know. I do know. Because I remember that. I remember thinking, I remember being like, don't raise your hand. You know, because I, I, would, I would relapse a lot. And like, I remember for, it took like a while to not feel like I was, and, and sometimes when I'm not feeling right, I'm like, I, are there any yes, newcomers? Exactly, I legit, I yes, legitimately exactly, am like, exactly. fuck me, man. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Seven years? Like, it's easy to judge yourself and be like, I have seven years. Like I should be blah, blah. And it's like, you know, that's a, that's a head game in itself. It's like everyone's, yeah. everyone's journey is completely different. And I've got days where I'm completely on the, on the ball. And then I've got other times when I just feel like, fuck, I can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. With financial worries and two sick parents and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, fucking, you know, I don't have a partner. I mean, thank God my roommates here, but like, you know, but it's like, it's feeling like, I felt an aloneness that I've never felt before in my own mortality with when both my parents got sick at the same time. Like I, my mom got dementia and, and then I was leaning on my dad and then my dad got cancer and I'm an only child. And I felt, Whoa, I don't have any brothers and sisters and I don't have a fucking romantic partner. I'm not married right now. And I just thought, fuck, you know, if it made me feel alone in a, a way I hadn't felt since I was like using and uh, I just thank God for my friends. Yeah. Thank God for my fucking recovery family who fucking had my back and carried yeah. me, you know, through all that. Yeah. Well, you you have an amazing story, and I think that um, I know I know that you've touched so many people. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm getting so many messages now, which is so weird. Yeah. Like I said, everyone's like, I'm fucking bored. Let's find a juicy story. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I love it. I you love know? it. It's like. But um, that was what I wanted. I just wanted to fucking help people. I didn't give a fuck about looking good. I didn't give a fuck about making money. I cared that I gave one person fucking hope. Mm-hmm. And you have. You know what I mean? It was like, no matter how far fucking down you've fallen, yeah. you know? Because everything I thought would never happen to me happened to me, man. Everything. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And I mean, I think um, especially in this time, like... It looks great on it looks great on a match.com profile. You know, you can be like, I'm handy with knives and um <laughs> it's, I can't get in I can't get into Canada. So hopefully you don't want to go to Canada. That's so amazing. You should make a no, you should I don't I I I, mean, I don't touch fucking Tinder. I was on hinge for two seconds and I was like, ew. I can't do it. I can't do that shit anymore. It freaks me out. It's it just becomes obsessive and you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I have a, I'll get an instant connection with someone and I'll romanticize and I'll be like, we're going to get married. I look at, I like rose good diamonds. I'm like, are you fucking 13? Like grow the fuck up. Oh my God, girl, get it together. You know? So, yeah. I mean, it's the, the problem lies in our brain. It's, 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 
it's a pretty hard one to fix your broken brain with your broken brain, man. I know, right? Just like the fucking future tripping, good or mm-hmm, bad, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, we're going to get married on this farm. And I'm like, oh my God, Amy, you don't even know him. Like, calm down. You know what I mean? Or, or you know, I'm going to I'm gonna have corona and li- die in a cardboard mm-hmm. box. Yep. You know, it's like, I'm like, uh, maybe the, maybe it's in, it's in between right, one of those. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's the difference between also like process addictions and substance abuse addictions. It's like, you know, with food, with eating disorders and sex stuff, you have to find a moderative route. Yes. It's really hard versus, you know, for drugs and alcohol, like, okay, there are people that are, I, I support whatever works for you. If harm reduction works for you, right on. If you are someone who used to be shoot dope and now you can drink normally, fucking more power to you. That's not my yeah. experience. I've tried that experiment 9,000 times. Like for me, abstinence is the only fucking way. It's much, much easier for me to be abstinent than it is for me to try and control yep. me drinking yep. and using. Yes. You know what I mean? But yes. it's like for the love and romance stuff. Yeah, you're still on your journey. That. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, I've been, I've, you know, I'm trying to do things differently and coming up with, you know, similar results. Like, you know, someone who's like, I'm emotionally unavailable. I'm like, challenge accepted. I'm like, oh God. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's just like part of it's, you're still on the journey. It's not all soft, you know, it's, I mean, that's my experience. I'm, you know, I'm 14 years clean and sober and, and I, I had dealt with what if you get sober fucking 12? Jesus Christ. 19. And, you know, after I had my kids, all of my old trauma came back and an eating disorder and all this stuff that I had basically managed for a long time. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that until. And so they came back after I had twins and which like no time to do self-care, self-work or, you know, any yeah. of that shit. And. You know, I was like, I am 14 years sober. This is what is happening. This is absolutely unacceptable. Like, I should be better than that. You know, like, this is insane. I know. We're so good at self-shaming, aren't we? This is insane. This is insane. And I have to remember, like, nope, this is... I needed to get to all the layers. Like, I hadn't... I had to find all the different pieces. I had to exhaust all the other options, right? Like I, you know, sex, love, whatever, all the different things, you know, you get married, that's done. And, you know, theoretically, if you want to stay married and. Well, unless you try and kill them. If it, once you try and kill them, they don't really like to stay married to you. You can even be like, Oh, just use chops yeah. for the rest of yeah. my life. I promise. Like, you know, they just yeah. don't, it really. Yeah, that'll do. I'll, I'll write, I'm going to write that down and like, <laughs> top 10 things like, don't try to kill. let me just tell you that but again, you think about that it that was shocking to me too like oh of course i've heard everyone yeah. say that's not me of course i'm not who i normally am you know when i'm drinking and using i'm a fucking monster i don't recognize that person and when i was writing the book i was like who is that person who did those things like stop don't do that you know what i mean and that was you know, writing the book, everyone's like, was it cathartic? It's like, no fucking, it was not cathartic. It was really painful to put myself back into a, sp- a, a headspace of active addiction with absolutely no denial around my behavior, with complete clarity, with no, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, having changed and having to be really honest about it and having some recovery, it was, it was horrifying. Yeah. To, to write that and be honest. It was like my ex- same experience with doing my 
my fourth and fifth step. I wasn't like, yay, I'm walking with the hand of the universe. Woo! I like saw who I was from other people's point of view. And I was like, yikes, mm-hmm. I'm not who I thought I was at all. And I cried for like three days. And then my sponsor was like, okay, now that we've uncovered who you really fucking are, which is like manipulative, lustful asshole, like now we get to start changing mm-hmm. it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. You know, you're not stuck. That's with who you are. I mean, that's why I, aside from, you know, all the things that go into, you know, what happens when I use drugs and alcohol, like I do not like the person that I become. And once I put those things into my body, I am not in control of that person. And so I have created someone on the planet that I do not like. And so same thing, like I look back at things that I did and have done, not the crazy stuff, the horrible stuff, like the mean stuff The you know, the crazy yeah. stuff. It's like, yeah. I mean, a lot of that's, you know, wearing diapers or, you know, whatever, like, you know, you know, the helmet, you know. That's stuff right. That's stuff like, I, I yeah. mean, the, the stuff is hard yeah, to like this, the, the really nasty stuff that I did because, yeah. because someone threatened my addiction or whatever, or I, you know, right. that's, so, that, totally, that totally. stuff is really hard to look at. And that is exactly the reason why I had to stop because I can't, I did this experiment where I put that chemical in my body over and over and over again. And I, I became a person I didn't like. That doesn't happen to everybody. It's not the chemical. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, that, like, what it feels like for you and what it looks like to other people are oh, not the no. same. And that's, right? No, because that's, that's, a that's big because one. in your head, there's a perfectly logical explanation for this. But also, you're like, I feel good. And that wasn't that horrible. And I like, blah, 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 blah. she did and this. And other people are like, what a fucking hot mess. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like when you're sober and you see people are super shit-faced or high. And it's like, what if, and you know what it feels mm-hmm. like to be loaded like that. Yeah. But it's not what it looks like. Right. To other people. Right. And, and the one thing I like to also point out is like, it's not the drugs. The drugs aren't bad. The the You can, you can put you can put cocaine into somebody else and they don't become a monster who, you know what I mean? Like, but we, we see, I I know a lot of people like, Oh, you know, there's this intense feeling around drugs and alcohol around the actual substances. Like, look, this is a molecule. It just happens to go into my body and react this way. Like that doesn't happen to everyone. It it happens to me, but it doesn't happen to everyone. And so, I always have to like, you know, I remind a lot of new people like, oh, I, you know, I can't, I, that person, you know, drinks a lot or that person, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, look, if it doesn't turn them into a monster, (laughs) it might not be a problem. Yeah. Well, that's what, I mean, a lot of sober people get very judgmental about other people's use and just because they're using a lot, then they think they're an alcoholic or an addict. And like you said, it's not about the substances. I know plenty of people who can fucking mm-hmm. do coke and they're, they're fine or have a bottle of coke in their house for f- three months. And it's like completely different. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's not about the drugs. So it's like people, you know, this war on drugs, it's like, it's really, we really need to look at mental health. Addiction. <laughs> mental health. Yeah. I mean, cause it's not everyone becomes addicted. That's the, not everyone, beca- you know, a very few portion. I mean, sure, Purdue lied about how addictive Oxycontin was and that it lasted longer than it than it did and blah, and they, you know, forged a lot of stuff. But I still know people, even my mother, who fucking, even as a recovering alcoholic, 
broke her hip. They gave her oxy. I was terrified and she was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They used, there are plenty of people who can use that as pain management and they're mm-hmm. fine. Not everyone becomes mm-hmm. addicted. And it's like, I think that's something that we really need to look at. It's like, that comes from your own genetics. I know people who tried meth and hated it. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's like Prozac with wings. What are you talking about? That's the shit. You know? I tried, I did a lot of meth and hated it, but I did a lot of it. <laughs> it was like your weed. I did, a lot I did a, like, I hated it, but I continued to do it because that's what was there. So just kept doing it. I'm like, I hate this. Right. I, I hate I, I this stuff. I didn't like Aussie. Yeah. It made me like yell at people in parking lots and karate chop people. It's karate chop. I karate chop strangers. It was horrible. I was really a weirdo on it. It was terrible. I thought it was supposed to make you nice and mellow, and it made me really aggressive and fucking crazy. That is that is that is an adverse reaction to opiates, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, hey man, I'm mellow yeah, yeah. on it, and I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. This woman takes meth to calm down and opiates to karate chop people. (laughs) Someone wants it. They go, I know when you're high because you're actually emotionally stable when you're shooting cocaine. I was like, that's frightening. (laughs) That is a frightening thought. (laughs) Uh, He was like, I know you're high right now because you're completely rational. And I was like, it's like, I was like, I knew it was self-medication. Totally. totally. You're like, so you're saying I'm a doctor? Because that's definitely what I heard. (laughs) 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 <laughs> right i had like my physician's desk totally. and i would like be like okay what do i want so then i go into the psychiatrist's office and i'd be like i'd have these symptoms that they prefer you know give me like what mm-hmm. i was like mm-hmm. you know needed but then eventually they catch on and they were like i think you need to go to aa i was like fuck you man I'm a drug addict. <laughs> worst prescription ever yeah right it was yeah we're doctor like they gave me like like methamphetamine but it was like slow release and i like got it home and i tried to like get it out of the fucking like slow release capsule and boil it down and crush it and i'm not like a chemist okay <laughs> like i'm a writer and i just like burn them and like i went and i was like the slow release aren't working for me and she was like oh really mm, yeah like i think you need to go to a i'm like go fuck yourself oh, yeah that was there's no desperation like needing needing drugs while having to scrape off a slow release like (laughs) you're like (laughs) like don't slip like there's just no like oh man i don't miss that oh well uh i was never successful at it ever This was like, I didn't have the fucking, I was like, they were like, this is how you get it off. And this is how you shoot it. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I, this is like cooking. I don't like totally. cooking. It's like too many steps. I was like, fuck yeah. this. Like, no, yeah. one of the patients for this. <laughs> just, just never been yeah. good in a kitchen. You know what I mean? Unless it's like a big yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, no, Mm-mm. I can't, you know, fuck this. No. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Well, you are amazing, and I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast and shared your story and shared what's going on with you and just told the truth, right? That's what we have to do. So, yeah, I would love to be some Pollyanna and be like, oh my God, like I am totally modeling the epitome of recovery, and like I'm just a beacon of hope and light, and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you know, I mean, I thought about rescheduling, and I was just like, you know what? I'm fucking scared. I'm scared. I'm scared of money. I feel I'm having a hard time disciplining myself. I'm sleeping too much. I'm watching too much TV. I'm, 
you know, I'm finding myself to be in a negative place. I'm, you know, and, and that's the truth. I am going to meetings and I'm trying to share a solution, but I'm also struggling with, you know, and I'm just kind of like, bitch, just get through this one day at a time. What's today? What are you going to do today? That's it. Can you do something that makes you feel productive today? No one's going to let you fall on your ass and, you know, and be homeless and starve to death. Let's just right. try to not catch this thing and stay clean. That's, That's it. it. And be kind to other people. You know what yep. I mean? Yep, absolutely. But there's very few places where I'm finding that I can find any relief. Like I'm taking a lot of baths with candles <laughs> and corny shit like that. You know what I mean? Like for you real. You gotta do what you have to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I can't go get a massage. A fucking self-care is gonna you know, like like I I mean my all my fake nails are falling out, all my eyelash extensions are falling out. I'm like, Ooh, I'm looking good. You know? I'm like fucking you know, everyone's hair color is coming in. Look look at my bangs. It's like, okay, fucking mine the Ramones, like what's happening? Fuck, man. I'm not cutting my own bangs. I've made that mistake before. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Yep. It's a quarantine bonnet. It's like, fuck it, you know? Well, everybody's going through it. So we're all all surviving quarantine together with our own locked in our homes and all our own demons (laughs) with it. (laughs) I know, right? Everyone's just starting to have a fever and just start to, you know. Yeah. It's going to be, it might be some real interesting things that come out of this as long if we can survive it, you know, we probably have more tools than everyone else. So for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I mean, I definitely am, you know, running things by my sponsor, like, hi, how do I respond to this Mm -hmm. text? Because I just don't trust myself right now. Do you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I just, if you're new, you know, just, Go to the Zoom, just do online support, however you can do it, one day at a time. You know, it's like we're all in this together. It's a really tough time. I mean, I just feel like if people could get sober during this period, they can get sober fucking Mm -hmm. through anything Mm -hmm. for real. It's a difficult time for people with time. Yeah, it's an incredibly difficult time, but I really do believe that we're going to get through it. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I just think we have to have empathy. We have to be kind to each other. Even when other people are being assholes, you just have to be kind. There's no other way out. You have, we need to model that behavior for other people as best as we can. Yeah. Just say thank you and smile through our masks. <laughs> Smiling eyes or whatever fucking Tyra Banks says. <laughs> Smizing. <laughs> I don't even know. So out of my mind. I've been in the house for fucking weeks. Oh my God. <sighs> Deep breaths. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, oh, thanks for have you me. come on when your next Let book comes you. out. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the pilot. pilot. Yeah, yeah. We're writing, yeah, we're writing the pilot now. So. Awesome. That's my dream is to, you know, to have a show that shows addiction in its reality. Not exploitive, not hysterically funny, but not super depressing either, but not intervention not fucking sober, you know, celebrity rehab where they cut to just like the gross, like the reality of us as human beings struggling in pain. Yeah. Um, I know it's going to happen for you. So that's my, my goal. And a female driven thing, you know, where we can talk about, like I said, all the stuff we've talked about, you know, the stigma that's attached to being a woman that's an IV drug addict or a sex addict or a perpetrator of domestic violence or all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Well, thank you for leading the way. My vagina is you're welcome. <laughs> my, my vagina that has closed hermetically thank over the years. <laughs> thank you, Amy's vagina. 
Well, it's so great to meet you, and uh, I think that uh, I'm so happy for what you guys are doing, being able to provide for people Thank right you. now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, follow me on Instagram, follow me on uh, Facebook, follow me on Twitter, check out the new fixed piece, Addiction Recovery. We're going to put it all in the links, so My Fair yeah. Junkie and, and, and your articles. Yeah, you get it on Amazon, and so it's super juicy read, whether in recovery or not, and, you know, funny which is what I think people need. We got to laugh yeah. right now. Yeah. Keep me posted and, and stay in touch. All Sounds right. good, Dollface. Thank you so All much. Right. Because bye. So much. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800 800- Two five eight six five five zero, or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.